It is a truism that almost any sect, cult, or religion will legislate its creed into law if it requires the political power to do so, and will follow it by suppressing opposition, subverting all education to seize early the minds of the young, and by killing, locking up, driving underground all heretics. And that's Robert Heinlein. And we're going to talk about current cults today. Mm, yay! This is Jen. This is Becky. And this is Too Close to Home. This is an educational episode. Um, they all Educational are. and like... Uh, a safety episode. More productive than dare, I guess. <laughs> We're here to educate and save lives. <laughs> it's a hard job, but someone has to do it. Exactly. So uh, I wanted to start out and talk about that um, cults are something that are both terrifying and a mystery. I started out with the intention to write about Jonestown, and I felt like I should first start with a warning episode that there are still cults being created and lives being ruined by them. I wanted to speak about the victims and their lives as cult survivors that are often mistaken as followers and sheep and that people think that they themselves are invincible to cults. This is so far from the truth. Some of you listening right now could be in a cult and not realize it. So let's talk about it, what you should look for, and the ones that are still around, and how to heal. I hope I'm not in a cult and don't know it. Oh, God. We're going to find out, though. I've got the whole scoop. So uh, what is a cult? Loosely, it is a great devotion to a person, idea, object, movement, or work. Now, we've heard cults. It's never had a good connotation other than like a cult classic or cult following. But cult as a word itself is something that everyone kind of like. <laughs> there are actually subcategories of cults as well. There's destructive. Psychologist Michael Langoni executive director of the anti-cult group International Cultic Studies Association, defines a destructive cult as a highly manipulative group which exploits and sometimes physically or psychologically damages members and recruits. This is like the most generalized classification of cults, and it generally refers to those um, whose members have, through deliberate action, physically injured or killed other members of their own group or other people. An example of this would be Jonestown. And some people even argue that totalitarian systems of government hold characteristics of destructive cults. Then you have one of my favorite types, doomsday. Oh, yeah. <sighs> I love a good doomsday cult. But it is an expression formed in the 60s, which is used to describe groups that believe in apocalypticism. A lot of them do. Millenarianism. And it can also be used to refer both groups, both to groups that predict disaster and groups that attempt to bring it about. In 1997, psychological <laughs> study by Festinger, Rieken, and Schachter found that, mo that people turned to a cataclysmic worldview after they had repeatedly failed to find meaning in mainstream movements, i.e., my life is failing, this regular, you know, just going to church, Christianity is not cutting it for me, I need to find something that involves aliens. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> People also strive to find meaning in global events such as the turn of the millennium when many predicted that it prophetically marked the end of an age and thus the end of the world. Many of their members also suffer from dissonance reduction, a form of rationalization, which is what a lot of these people in cults do. These failed prophecies do nothing but invigorate their belief in the group and rationalize reasons for the apocalypse not happening. Om Shinrikyo and Heaven's Gate are both examples of doomsday cults. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Heaven's Gate. That's the one that I'm working on now. I can't wait to hear that one. Political. These are the groups who use political ideals in the most extreme ways, creating a whole way of life centered around these very ideals without question. Economist Ronald Wittrobe argues that many extremist movements, even having completely different ideologies, share a common set of characteristics. As an example, he lists the common characteristics between Jewish fundamentalists and the extremists of Hamas. Both are against any compromise with the other side. Both are entirely sure of their position. Both advocate and sometimes use violence to achieve their ends. Both are nationalistic. Both are intolerant and dissent, of dissent in their group. And both demonize the other side. Both of the... Both of these completely different groups have Oh, and demonize the other side, yeah. Yeah, so they like... At the end of the day, even if Hamas and Jewish fundamentalists are completely different, they really are the same. They oh, all, they are. Yeah. yeah. In 1990, Arthur Patrick Lucy of the Library Journal commented, Although we live in democracy, cult behavior manifests itself in our unwillingness to question the judgment of our leaders, our tendency to devalue outsiders, and to avoid dissent. We can overcome 
cult behavior, he says, by recognizing that we have dependency needs that are inappropriate for mature people, by increasing anti-authoritarian education, and by encouraging personal autonomy and the free exchange of ideas. Some examples of a political cult would be QAnon and the LaRouche movement. I'm not familiar with either of them. QAnon? Mm -mm. Well, I know you're not a big news person. Mm -mm. (laughs) So, like, Trump's people would be a, like, the Proud Boys, that's like a political cult. 100%. (laughs) (laughs) We already knew that. (laughs) I don't need this podcast to tell me that. (laughs) Um, And then there's polygamous cult. Oh, we all know about those. Yeah, we all know that polygamy is a marriage between three or more people, and it's still widely practiced, but... Is it? Yes. It's not legal, though, is it? No. Okay. Just making sure I was still... Even though it's still widely practiced, it is on the decline, you know, because we're more connected as a world. Well, more people are straying away from marriage, too. Yeah. So. Understandably. People don't even (laughs) want to marry one person, let alone two. (laughs) (laughs) Even that being said about the decline of them, there's estimated that there are about 50,000 members of polygamous cults in North America. All in Utah, right? Probably. <laughs> Looking at you, Mormons. <laughs> <laughs> Polygamous cults are new- viewed negatively by both legal authorities and mainstream society, which, I mean, obviously. It'll soon enough be recognized as yeah. being allowed because we won't want to hurt anyone's feelings. <laughs> <laughs> this view sometimes includes negative perceptions of related mainstream denominations because of their perceived leaks, links to possible domestic violence and child abuse, which we're very aware of that. So they're saying like, being in a multi-partner marriage makes you more prone to be abusive. Yeah. And to abuse. Of I course, there that, are widely yeah. <laughs> Of course, there are widely known reports of this happening in the Mormon Church, as its members had initially practiced polygamy before the ending of plural marriages in the 1890s. This is when the Mormon Church actually splintered off and the Mormon fundamentalists came about, which still allowed plural marriage. The FDLS Church. That is the one ran by Warren Jeff, which if you have not heard about him, he's a fucking despicable person. Maybe I should do one about him, too. It's widely known for underage marriages, statutory rape, sexual assault, and molestation of countless children. Lovely. Then there are racist cults. These are the ones that we may not traditionally think about as cults, but they do use the same techniques in recruitment and have the ability. Yeah. Sorry, jumping ahead. I was excited. (laughs) I want to answer that question. (laughs) The same ability to have their members perpetrate unspeakable hacks upon innocent people uh, for their skin color orientation or anything else they deem beneath them. What is a racist cult that you would know? The Klan. That's the Klan. Klu Klux Klan. It's uh, referred to as a heretical Christian cult. You can argue that the execution and lynching of African Americans, as well as the garments and structure as a faux religious ceremony of human sacrifice. Another example of the burgeoning amount of secret Aryan cults that have spurned a rise of Nazism which was, it's also prevalent in the white power skinhead groups of the U.S. And while, like, the KKK, like, they're still around. I know they are. Oh, yeah. They are not as prolific as they were in the 50s. But that white power skinhead groups, fucking. Oh, white supremacists? Yeah, that's Yeah, those things are getting blowing up. Then we have terrorists, which is funny, speaking of blowing up. This is a blend. segue. (laughs) This is a blend of political, destructive, and racist cults, in my opinion. Al-Qaeda was described as a classic terrorist cult by journalist Marianne Seigert. Al-Qaeda fits all the de- official denominations of a cult. It indoctrinates its members. It forms a close totalitarian society. It has a self-appointed messianic and charismatic leader, and it believes that the ends justify the means. These cults are extremely adept at brainwashing their members to do such atrocious attacks in the spirit of religious fanaticism and believe that their way is the only way. So another version besides Al-Qaeda would be the Shining Path Guerrilla Movement in Peru and the Tamil Tigers. I have not heard of those personally, but... I haven't either. While there are still numerous cults that we are well aware of, like Scientology and the FLDS, I wanted to share some cults to watch for and that are still active to varying degrees. The Nuwabium Nation is the first cult we're going to talk about. Just And I'm going to talk all these like in such condensed form. Obviously, it's not going to do justice to what these cults are really about. Not like there's justice to be had there, but... Are you going to cover the one where they eat their poop? I did not know there was one that they ate the poop. Oh, and now I'm disappointed in myself for not knowing. <laughs> 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 
So I'm going to go through every one of these and I'm going to try to be kind of like brief on it because if you guys want to hear more about these, definitely let us know and we can research a little bit more. Nuwabian Nation, which is a mix of political and destructive cults. It was founded by Dwight D. York, a.k.a. Malachi Z. York, and he was the founding leader of many black Muslim groups in New York in the beginning of the 1960s. They were first based as a Suedo-Islamic themes in Judaism. Later, he developed a theme derived from ancient Egypt, mixing ideas taken from black nationalism, cryptozoology, Christianity, UFO religions, New Age, and popular conspiracy theories. I don't know how they've not recruited me. <laughs> so was he just cherry-picking ideas from every kind of yeah. thought process? Like, you know what? That sounds rad. <laughs> <laughs> he last called his group the United Nuwabian Nation of Moors, the Nuwabian Nation, or just the Nuwabians. Around 1990, he relocated the nation to Putnam County, Georgia, where Tamun Ra had been built. It was an Egyptian-themed city for him and his many followers, built on 476 acres. Nice. He had yeah. a very, yeah. Sweet little piece of land there. Right? <laughs> in Georgia, in the uh, in Hotlanta. Mm. He was very sketchy past, and of course, legal troubles to boot. So not only did he change his name multiple times, he would change the name of the group and their doctrines until he relocated to Georgia to start over. So look, if I joined a cult and then they're like, all right, we're going to change everything we believe, and I'd be like... You know what I love during our podcast is like both of us go. (laughs) (laughs) Why was he running away, you ask? He had established strict sexual practices within the community, reserving for himself sexual access to many women and girls, including wives and children of followers. Oh, precious. Eventually, it did catch up to him as an anonymous letter was sent to Putnam County and it alleged child molestation within the community. The FBI, which started investigating the group in 1993, assigned a major task force to it. And in 2002, York was arrested and charged with more than 100 counts of sexually molesting dozens of children, some as young as four years old. Jesus Christ. According to Bill Ozinski, who wrote the 2007 book about York in the case, when he, York, meaning York, was finally indicted, state prosecutors literally had to cut back the number of counts listed from well beyond 1,000 to slightly more than 200 because they feared... Jerry simply wouldn't believe the magnitude of York's evil. It's believed to be the nation's largest child molestation prosecution ever directed at a single person in terms of numbers of victims and numbers of alleged criminal acts. Jesus. That's a lot if you're worried that people are going to think you're making it up because there's so much. Right? Like, man, I think we need to cut it off at 1,200, okay? (laughs) People are just going to think we're just bullshitting at this point. They think we're just stacking charges. Yeah. It's a lot to stack, though. Yeah. Stacks on stacks on stacks. <laughs> he was sentenced to 135 years in prison where he was diagnosed with DSM-5 impression consisting of Axis one clinical syndrome of delusional paranoid disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, adjustment disorder with depressed mood, and Axis two, which is personality disorders, histrionic personality traits, self-defeating personality traits, and schizotypical personality features. Okay. I mean, like, everything. While many of the followers actually abandoned the group, Tamara and Tamara was sold by asset forfeiture. There are still sex there. The devil never works alone, and he still tries to communicate with his followers from prison. I'm sure he does. He wants them to send him money and put it on his commissary. Yeah. I mean, Warren (laughs) Jeff still fucking controls FDLS from fucking prison, which is crazy. So that's definitely one I would recommend keeping an eye out for. That's my goal. I want to get a whole bunch of people that think, I'm the best that there ever was. I've almost got all four of my family members convinced I'm just saying, that. like, I'm a part of that cult. <laughs> <laughs> and then if I ever, like, get locked up or something, I'm going to have all the root beer barrels and hot sauce off the commissary that I want. You get to have more than one a day. Okay? And I don't just have the gel issue thermals. I can buy pretty white thermals off the commissary. Girl. That's the dream. What baller. And I want them to send me lots of letters so I have stuff to do and pictures, you know. <laughs> Anyways, carry on. <laughs> you know, I'm making this about me now. <laughs> is like when you send pictures to people in prison, they always check them. And the amount uh-huh. of women's nudie pictures that come through prison mail. Oh, yeah. And, you know, like nine times out of ten, they won't let those things go all the way through. They end up putting it in their personal effects. Like you could have this at the end of your stay. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> so let's talk about Amshin Rikyo, which is also known as Aleph 
which is a doomsday and a destructive cult. Am Shinrikyo was originally formed in the 80s and led by Chizuo Matsumoto, a.k.a. Shoko Asahara, who believed himself to be Christ reincarnated and identified as the Lamb of God. They always do. You need to look him up because he does, he does not look like any of that. Shoko Asahara. You think I know how to spell that? <laughs> <laughs> Just speak it into your Google. Like, that's what I do when I can. Shoko. Shoko. Ashahara. Ashahara. He looks like he's stone, that's for sure. Right? So it started off in 1987 as a yoga and meditation class and later morphed after Ashahara became obsessed with biblical prophecies. His purported mission was to take upon himself the sins of the world, and he claimed that he could transfer spiritual power to his followers and ultimately take away their sins and bad deeds. Like Jesus. <sighs> He's got a lot of things to pick up if it has to concern me. I mean, mm. he actually looks like he could be some kind of spiritual leader, in my opinion. It's the hair. And the long beard. Mm-hmm. And the very master splinter look. <laughs> <laughs> he believed that humanity would end, except for elite few who join Om. And Om's mission was not only to spread the word of salvation. They'd only survive if they joined his cult. Mm-hmm. That's the first sign to turn around and run away. Oh, yeah. If the only way to survive is to be in that. So they, he actually predicted that Armageddon would occur in 1997. When did that movie come out, Armageddon? Was that 97? Because I feel like he's just like. I'm just piggybacking on yeah. that. <laughs> Shoko Ashihara referred to the United States as the beast from the book of Revelation. Predicting it would attack, eventually attack Japan, Ashahara outlined a doomsday prophecy, which included a third world war instigated by the U.S., which is not unbelievable. I feel like we would instigate something like that. Om um, would start escalating its, his... Armageddon came out in 98. <sighs> Carry on. <laughs> the year too late. Om <laughs> um, would start escalating its religious fanaticism in the late 80s with accusations of deception of recruits, holding cult members against their will, forcing members to donate money, and murdering a cult member who tried to leave in February 1989. Oh. Its peak would be chemical warfare beginning in 1993 with anthrax and sarin to 1995 Tokyo subway sarin attacks. Are they the ones that started the anthrax thing? Maybe. I mean, well, the anthrax came after 9-11. There was anthrax before that, wasn't there? I think so. I remember that people were worried about mail. I remember the attacks on the train with the gas. Yes. That was them? That was them. So in five coordinated attacks, the perpetrators released sarin on three lines of the Tokyo Metro. Then the Tito Rapid Transit Authority during rush hour, which was, this is these are like the most busiest trains in oh, Tokyo. Yeah. Well, I mean, and there's so many people on public transportation in that city. Yeah. It killed 13 people, severely injured 50, some of who later died, and caused temporary vision problems for nearly 1,000 people. Dang. The attack was directed against trains heading through Kasumigaseki. And Nakatacho. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> sorry We're, for laughing at you. <laughs> the DEET, which is the Japanese parliament, is headquartered in te- Tokyo. They were carrying packets of sarin with umbrellas with sharpened tips. The perpetrators would board their pointed trains. And then at prearranged stations, the sarin packets were dropped and punctured several times with the sharpened tip of the umbrella. Each perpetrator then got off the train and exited the station to meet his accomplice with a car. Leaving the puncture packets on the floor allowed the sarin to leak out into the train cars and stations. This sarin affected the passengers, subway workers, and those who came into contact with it. That was a pretty pretty good idea. I'm not going to lie. Oh, yeah. Do like that a, with the umbrella and then bounce. That was pretty good. So sarin I is, shouldn't be giving them any kudos. But no. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes you have to be like, okay, if I was a terrorist. That's probably what I would do, too. FBI, I'm not a terrorist. Sarin is the most volatile of the nerve agents, which means that it can quickly and easily evaporate from a liquid into a vapor, vapor, and spread vapor, <laughs> and spread into the environment. People can be exposed to the vapor even if it did not come into contact with the liquid form of sarin. Because it evaporates so quickly, sarin presents an immediate but short-lived threat. So, like, it would come into the air and then dissipate quickly. Dozen of disciples were arrested, Om's facilities were raided, and a court issued an order uh, for Ashihara's arrest. In the following months, a general attitude to perceive new religions and cults as potential danger for the whole society spread among the Japanese people. Was there a particular reason they did this serum packet gas ta- attack? Because it was the end of the world and they wanted oh, to okay. throw the government, overthrow the government. Okay, okay. May 16, 1995, the police investigated the 
Headquarters of Anshin Marikyo, Ashihara was discovered in a very small, isolated room in one of the facilities. He faced 27 counts of murders and 13 separate indictments. Damn. He, he was found guilty on 13 of the 17 charges, including the Sakamoto family murder. Four charges were actually dropped from the original, and on February 27, 2004, he was sentenced to death. Ashihara was executed by hanging at the Tokyo Detention House on oh, July wow. 6, 2018. 2018, they were still hanging, folks? Mm-hmm. Damn. Was That's, it a public hanging, too? Please tell oh, me it was a public real. hanging. Oh, for real. It had to have been. It's Japan. They don't fuck around. 23 years. This was 23 years after the gas attack. And he was executed along with six other cult members. So you know they probably had a whole fucking gallows. I'm about to Google it. I gotta know. <laughs> I gotta know. <laughs> a psychiatrist who examined Ashihara said he had no explicit psychiatric disorders. Their terror was far from over. And as recently as 2020, there was evidence of movement in the members. Ayuko Watanabe, director of the Public Security Intelligence Agency unit devoted to tracking the cult's members and periodically searching its facilities, said that three splinter groups have emerged from the cult and are actively recruiting new members, most of whom are young and unaware of Am's history. These groups are simultaneously building up millions of dollars of worth of cash reserves. For what? Who knows? But they're still recruiting, still active. That's very scary. So let's talk about the Family International. This is a doomsday and destructive cult. This is a little bit more uh, known than other cults just due to the sheer star quality attached to it. Mm-hmm. Rose McGowan was in this cult as a child. River and Joaquin Phoenix and their siblings was in this um, cult. Jeremy Spencer, which was the original guitarist for Fleetwood Mac. In 1976, um, Creeper David Berg, a.k.a. Moses David, a.k.a. Father David, <laughs> in the name of the children of God. It was a combination of Christian evangelism with a twist of 60s counterculture. Think esoteric hippies. He would send messages to his followers called Mo Letters, which featured a whole bunch of claims that he was a God, God's prophet and he was fear-mongering of disasters and that it would, that would soon envelop the U.S. He proselytized that the Orange County, uh, Orange County, California was going to be hit with a major earthquake and began spreading his gross gospel across the world. And of course, like... California is known for earthquakes. Right. So that one's not a hard, like, what? We're going to have an earthquake in California? <laughs> By 1972, there was 130 communes around the world. And by 1973, the sexual abuse started. Of course. He would have women use this method of flirty fishing, which encouraged female members to show God's love through sexual relationship with potential converts. A Mo letter from 1980, for example, was headlined, The devil hates sex, but God loves it. First of all, I don't think the devil hates sex. I, I feel like that's his either. platform. I do too. There was some rebranding over time, which is not uncommon to cults. They were called the Family of Love for a few years, then the Family, before settling on the Family International in 2004. But why was this a damaging cult? Yes, women were absolutely abused with the flirting fishing method, but there are more atrocities to be told. David Berg encouraged relationships between children and, and adults. And that sexual relations could begin early. And I'm talking like toddlers early. (laughs) And that crossed um, from pedophilia to incest at times. Mm. So people would have sex with their parents, you know. At least one individual growing up in the family, her name was Verity Carter, during the Children of God era, described being sexually abused from the age of four by members of the cult, including her own father. She blames the philosophy of David Berg, who told members that God was love and love was sex, so that sex should not be limited by age or relationship. (laughs) Carter also complains of being repeatedly beaten and whipped for the smallest transgressions and denied music or television or culture or other contact with the outside world so that she had no idea how the world worked or other than how to manipulate the systems like social workers, which, I mean, a lot of these cults do do that. Like, this is what you say when a social worker shows up. Oh, yeah, 100%. Both the family of River Phoenix and Rose McGowan herself have detailed some of the abuse and child neglect that they experienced at the hands of the cult, with River saying that he was raped at four, or that he he told people he lost his virginity at four. He was raped. Now, Joaquin Phoenix had a interview, and I read that in that interview he said that he was joking. That was just bullshit because he was tired of people asking. And I was like, 
I don't know. That's something that I was saying. It's a joke. I don't know how much you know about River Phoenix. I love, not love, but I, I don't love his story. But I l- read all about his story because mm-hmm. I have no life. But um, he was like diehard vegan and a musician and he's just like a very emotional person on the inside. Mm-hmm. And for him to say something that I think would not be true just to fuck with people, I don't know if that would be in his purview. I don't think that would be something he would do. Joaquin, yes. Joaquin's that type. But who knows? While David Berg died in the 90s, the cult is actually still going strong today. They still believe in fucked up sex stuff such as Loving Jesus, which is used to describe their intimate and sexual relationship with Jesus in a bridal theological way. It encourages members to imagine Jesus Stop it. is joining them during sexual intercourse and masturbation. If that ain't blasphemy, I don't know what else is. I don't know about you, but if you talking to the chicken thinking about Jesus, <laughs> we got some other things we need to discuss. That just does not seem healthy. Juju was like, come on and climb in bed with me. And he put on a Jesus mask. <laughs> I'd be like, no, bro. It's going to be a hard pass for me. <laughs> hey, Becky, you want to do some flirty fishing? <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> so let's talk about the 12 tribes. It's a destructive cult. It was founded by Gene Spriggs, also known as Yonick. I hate that they do this. All these fucking cult leaders keep changing their fucking names to sit. Just sounds more uh, like exotic, you know, like yeah. I, my name's Gene Spriggs, but they call me Yonick. <laughs> <laughs> It sprang out of the Jesus movement in 1972 in Chattanooga, Tennessee. It comes from the Bible, Acts 26-7. The promise to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly serve God night and day. And for this hope, O King, I am being accused by Jews. I looked up, down, all around. I don't know why they picked this verse, but whatever. The group <laughs> remained controversial with accusations of child labor custodial interference and illegal homeschooling restraint illegal homeschooling what mm-hmm. the fuck is that even what is it even that you have to like i guess um in some places you have to register that your kids are gonna be homeschooled or something i don't know i would never homeschool that's bullshit <laughs> <laughs> fuck that i had to do it during covid i didn't like it then i definitely did not no. <laughs> that's when i found out i was not smarter than a kindergartner <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> So restraint is part of the 12 tribes overall approach to child rearing, which focuses heavily on physical discipline. The 12 tribes teaches that children must be spanked with thin, flexible wooden rods, a practice a group has been consistently criticized for, but has steadfastly defended, stating it's rooted in biblical principles. Which I mean, I don't, I don't not believe that. I'm not going to say that. The Bible also it. says you can bury somebody up to their neck and stone their head. I mean... I'm just saying a good um, switch that you went and picked out of the bush across your ass didn't, it definitely kept our generation from turning into school shooters. So I'm saying the fact that we strayed away from that and now we have them, not saying it's right, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying none of us went and shot up schools and we got our asses whooped with the switch. Oh, well, wait till how bad this one gets. But anywho. Adults routinely, routinely withheld food from children as a form of discipline, sometimes for days. Um, they also went in hoard on spare the rod, spoil the child, saying by beating children on the butt, hands, and feet when they were what was deemed as bad behavior. On a January 2000 version of the group's 348-page child training manual obtained by the Post says children as young as six months should be spanked if they say, wriggle away from diaper changes. Just saying. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Just saying. The pain received from the balloon stick is more humbling than heartful. Balloon stick. The balloons, like, you know those... Oh, the stick. Mm-hmm. It is more painful than if you take a big-ass fucking huge paddle out. That little... <laughs> hurts. Uh, it's Ask more humbling. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, there's no defense against it. The only way to stop the sting of the rod is to submit. This is exactly what the child will do. Submit to his parents' will and end his rebellion. Children would endure 20 to 30 spankings a day without any warning once they do something that they deemed misbehavior. Well, they when I say have been listening. Well, well no, this is I'm what happens kidding. is they would, like, you know, like you, your kid does something, you're like, fucking cut it out. They wouldn't. They would just walk over there and beat the brakes off that kid. <laughs> no fucking morning. What am I doing? What do I do? <laughs> 
Children were also not to be seen and not heard, which is what I was raised as. That's how I was raised, too. Um, when a toddler to- throws a tantrum in the 12 tribes, adult might grab the girl, hold her tight on his lap, perhaps by throwing his legs over hers, restrain both arms, and put his hand over her mouth till she stops fighting back. The toddler might scream and cry and struggle for an hour. She will not be freed until she surrenders, former members said. The idea is to break her will. Kids are supposed to like a when you get a wild horse, you got to break, <laughs> <there's> <laughs> break that horse. The wild stallion is a quote. Uh, kids were supposed to be quiet, and when they weren't, physical restraint over their bodies and mouths was expected, said ex-member Jason Wolf, who was 46. His brother, a leader in the 12 tribes, previously lived in Manitou Springs, and their father helped establish the Boulder community. He left the group in 2009, now lives in Virginia. He was six when his parents joined. Children were also being sexually abused with cases as recent as the last 10 years of abuse and molestation resulting in children being taken away. However, the abuses still continue in the group. Adults are also subjected to extreme rules and regulations that are often physically punished for not adhering. They were in the belief that if they left the cult, they would die immediately. And this hold was so severe that many who chose to leave thought, well, death's better than this. That guy, Jason Wolf. When he left, he was like, they were all telling me, like, as soon as I leave, I'm going to, like, God's going to strike me down dead. And I was so terrified. And as I was walking away from the compound, my dad followed me and I just said, let me go. And his dad, you know, went back to the compound and he's like, you're just going to die. And he's like, and I kept waiting for it and it never happened. <laughs> he believed so hard. Sure, if that's all you yeah. know. Yeah. Their views and beliefs are so terrible and completely devoid of humanity. They believe African Americans are below whites and should be subservient, stating that slavery was a marvelous opportunity. Oh my! Mm-hmm. They're also anti-Semitic. While they do adopt many Jewish traditions like Yom Kippur and Sabbath, they believe Jews are collectively responsible for the death of Christ. In 2019, the FBI released information of their preliminary investigation on child abuse at the Hiddenite Hidden 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 I don't know property and other compounds. In 2020, there was an extensive search for stillborn and infant bodies being found in the Peppercorn Creek Farm property in New South Wales, Australia, because this is international. This very year, actually, in 2022, there was that huge Colorado fire in February. It started on the um, compound uh, in Colorado, and they're still investigating that. It's probably the Jews. Probably the Jews. We love you, Jews. I'm just, we're messing. And that what they said? Jews caused the, the death damn of Christ. Jews. So probably, they probably caused the fire, too. Even though they're, what cracks me up is that they're adopting all these Jewish traditions. But then saying that. Fucking Jews. Like, I mean, this is ridiculous. Well, anybody that blames any, any one group, whether it be based on religion, race, sex, you know, for something, are ignorant anyway. You can't just blame all Christians for something or all black people for something or all Asian people for something like you can't blame all of one thing for something no you know what I mean like that's first of all if anybody ever tells you it's all Jews fault or it's all black people's fault walk away because they're ignorant already oh yeah they're ignorant just walk away fucking white people spirit of truth is the group white people yeah oh it's all white people well yeah because they don't like Jews or black people so I mean no other ethnicity is probably going to join in on that no well I could talk all day long about active cults, it's actually impossible to completely state the overwhelming amount of active and dangerous cults. Oh, I'm sure. I had so many on my list to talk about, and I was just like, I can't even, like, after writing about the last one, I was like, I can't keep talking about it. Like, yeah. that's, there's just one so many. Pressing. So I actually uh, was honored to speak to somebody who was a survivor. When I started to research cults more in the depth, I did reach out to people around me on the chance that they would actually have a story. I was expecting someone from Waco to know more about the Branch Davidians, and while there were some third-party connections, I got something I never expected, an account of a lesser-known cult and their experiences in it. So Emissaries of Divine Light is a worldwide network of diverse individuals who got their start in the 30s. Lloyd Arthur Miller, Meeker, had a spiritual awakening in 1932 and realized that the teacher had been looking for was within himself. Oh, He used attunement as a central feature of his teaching and ministry. Attunement is a type of pseudo-scientific energy medicine 
that believes that healers can heal a person via channeling energy and replying it roughly between one to six inches from the patient. So like what people probably think cults are, you know, like everybody put your hands, let's get this energy together. And I, I'm sure that there is, I mean, we all have energy. I'm sure that there is some mystical ways about it, but I don't think this was necessarily the case here. He died in plane crash, but his siblings carried it on, gather, garnering more and more members through the years. With the Vietnam War in the 60s, it flourished. The emissaries appeared to just be a new age community where the sense of togetherness is used as a way of indoctrination, meaning they would eat meals together, live in homes together, work together, worship, worship together, study together. And while that is endearing to have a strong sense of community, it really is an isolation tactic. If you keep people busy and build new families for them, it forces them to shed their former life and become fully immersed in one with the cult. They worked these people for next to nothing wages, took money and properties from them, and kept them away from their families and instilled fear of divine retribution should they leave the group. One survivor states, your vibes always had to be clear or you were wreaking destruction in the world. Mixing this and their version of biblical history and teaching gave us a real mishmash of stuff to try to sort out. We had a lots of responsibility. For example, if we were vibrationally centered, we would bring peace to the world. If we were vibrationally off-center, we might cause war in Lebanon. This is what your person said? No, well, this is not my, my person. This is from another person that okay. was in Missouri, so did a lot fine light. They also kept a very restrictive flow of any information to the group. There were no TVs, one phone, just in case of emergencies. And a survivor relays her aha moment and realization. The second or third time we were together in counseling, my husband was able to say to me in the counselor's presence that he thought we were in a cult. To do it that way was very wise on his part, because if he had said it directly to me, I would have bolted and been right back to Loveland. I would have left him immediately. But to tell me in her present tempered the impact. And at the point, I had to listen to some rational ideas. Counselor really didn't know about our group because it was small enough that it hadn't had articles written about it. She really wasn't questioning our involvement at that time either, except for the that because we had said either we're both in this group or we're both out, or the group will not let us stay in together, she became a little bit curious. She had that packet of information she had gotten from at the cult workshop and handed it to us. As I read several different articles in the packet, I had this very distinct moment of knowing that we were in the cult and I was out of there. The information was what the information was what was so powerful. As we've all heard here, the control of information was a large factor in our even choosing to go into the group in the first place. And certainly, access to information was an important factor in our coming out. So, what does this have to do with the survivor I spoke to? She actually joined the cult unknowingly as an adult to protect and to protect her identity since these cults are still active. I'm not going to use her name or anything that really identifies her, um, but hers was a sect of the Emissaries of Divine Light out of Georgia. It was called the Ministry of the Spirit of Truth under banner of the Institute of Applied Ontology, which would put on seminars and had a huge focus on chiropractic healing and natural healthcare, which, I mean, it's not unknown. There's a lot of people who pick like all natural thing. Like, I mean, that started in the 60s and has kept growing to now people are all about crystals and stuff still, you know, like it's not unheard of. Right. right. And they're not innately cult. It was ran by Jane Clark, Grant Clark and Greg Hack while which in my research were con artists in religious form. They would scam people out of money and property. They would work people to the bone and require them to basically spy on each other. Very reminiscent of Scientology in that way. And Jane was known as a real bitch. Her siblings were a part of this as well, but one had passed. None of his family actually showed up to that memorial. Another one who Jane and others stole the business from. So it's been nice. Yeah, pretty bad. This group was formed after the founders had a falling out with the emissaries. She started out just purchasing nutritional supplements at first. Again, not abnormal. She was in a very unhappy marriage and she was looking for more meaning and purpose in life. Her husband at the time did not want anything to do with the cult, which, again, that's something that does happen to people where one wants to be in it, the other one doesn't, and that ends up a segue of ways then or they end up joining it together like that previous couple. She took a job with the company, which is the cult, 
to run a spa of theirs in Georgia, leading to a really rough divorce, which helped push her in there further. And she wanted to heal as well as help her son discover his purpose in life. Thankfully, due to her ex-husband's high-profile work, they did not include her in close circles, making her feel like an outcast, unknowingly keeping her from harm that befell others. Her best friend followed her there and told her, this is the biggest group of horny people I've ever seen. <laughs> and that was something that she had not personally experienced, but they did somewhat uh, what the FLDS does with like partnering people. You know, like you're going to live with this person. You're going to do this. Y'all are going to be together. Her friend was actually taken for lots of money. She used to make like 100K a year and she still has yet to recover. Yeah. They were working for people for next to nothing wages like the emissaries and would pair people up in relationships and for living arrangements. She never had to do this, thankfully, but witnessed it many times. And they were gaslit that they were hurting the company if they didn't work for more hours or donate more money. They would depend on these people to work and fund their exorbitant lifestyles. And then they did start abandoning members. Not the using portion of abandonment, but not allowing them to worship with them. And made those people feel alienated. She started edging herself out and got a job outside the organization. And once they realized she was trying to leave, they told her to keep going as the ship has already sailed. And she never looked back. I asked what was the damage she felt from this. She was worried that her son, if her son knew that she did this for him and loved him sincerely. She went through a bad divorce and her ex and mother pitted her against her where she was not able to have full custody. So she worries that he feels like she abandoned him and that this is her regret. All that she wanted was the best for him, which good parents do want that. And every parent does experience this feeling to differing degrees that we're, I'm going to do this because it's going to be better for my family. It's going to be hard right now, but for the long run, you know, as a parent, you're going to do whatever you can for your kids. I asked her what advice um, would she give a person who was in a cult? And this was the most honest and truthful answer to think for themselves. Really, I think, uh, which is kind of interesting. There was sort of one of those things that they were teaching us in the ministry was to think for ourselves, but then they were thinking for us. It was really weird. And then later on, she said, nobody could tell me anything. So I had a neighbor who knew the Worcesters, which was the family that was involved, and said, this is Jane and Claudia's cult. And I said, whatever. She was crazy. And that ministry knew of her neighbor and her questioning of it. Later on, she stated that maybe that's her regret. Now, not listening to that neighbor and heeding her advice. And that she could have done this differently to leave her marriage. But she's right. Would she have listened when she was enamored with the glitter of false po- positivity and love bombing? That's how you love bombing. That's how you groom for a uh, abusive relationship. That's how it starts. It, very much so. And she told me herself that it took her, you know, almost 10 years afterwards that she realized that's what it was. You know, I am thankful that she did not get affected in the way that other people did. It seems like there was a lot of dysfunction with the other families. Her son has went on to be successful, you know, and they're still trying to work through these things. But I was so stunned that she felt safe enough to talk to me about it. Yeah, that was we, nice. As much as I told her, like, we're jokers. We love to joke about things. But we also uh, are super about awareness in this situation. Well, you and you're in a... Um vulnerable position that she was at the time it's easy to get manipulated and sucked into something that you don't realize you're getting sucked into and there's like so many people who sit there and go that would never happen to me okay well then why are people falling for avon (laughs) jennifer i can't stand you go away why are people Mm -hmm. (laughs) so shiny sorry why are people falling for Am Shinrikyo still. Why are people, you know, still joining Scientology? There's different reasons. And just like when you're in an abusive relationship, many times you don't realize you were the victim until you leave. I mean, isn't every church really just a cult? That's what she asked me. What do you think the biggest cult in the world is right now? And I said, I don't know. She goes, the Catholic Church. And I was like, you're right. You're right, girl. They got they got rituals and shit. They got uniforms. They got some. Strong-ass rules. The nuns thank you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Knowing that, I wanted to go over some cult safety information. Since I can't name all these active cults, here are some ways you can identify if you're possibly in a cult via the Freedom of Mind Resource Center. Jennifer's safety brief. 
I'm going to kind of like, it's very long, but it's like different things. And I was like, Jimmy, we should probably cut down. And he's like, no, I think it's pretty important. And it's true. These are all factors. I, I literally hate the two of you. <laughs> I know. This is important safety stuff about Colts, guys. <laughs> we need to know. Um, and that you both agreed on. <laughs> so it boils down. I've got y'all's temple hats downstairs if you want to put them on. <laughs> it boils down to four <laughs> main things. Behavior control, information control, thought control, and emotional control. With behavioral control, they regulate an individual's physical reality. They dictate where, how, and with whom the member lives and associates or isolates from, when and how and with whom the member has sex, control types of foods and hairstyles. They regulate diet, where they make them have go hungry or fast. They manipulate them, and they give them sleep deprivation. It's financial exploitation, manipulation, or dependence. They restrict leisure, entertainment, or vacation time. Major time spent with the group indoctrination and rituals and or in self-indoctrination, including the Internet. Permission required for major decisions. Rewards and punishments for used to modify behaviors, both positive and negative. Discourage individualism. Encourage group thinking. Impose rigid rules and regulations. Punish disobedience by beating, torture, burning, cutting, rape, or tattoo slash branding. Threaten harm or family or friends. Force individuals who rape or be raped. Encourage and engage in corporal punishment, instill dependency and obedience, kidnapping, beating, torture, rape, separation of families, imprisonment, and murder. Information control. It goes down to deception, deliberately withholding information from that member, distorting information to make it more acceptable, systematically lying to that, that cult member. They minimize or discourage access to non-cult sources of information, including internet, TV, radio, books, critical information, People who were former members, keeping members busy so they don't have time to think and investigate, and they control through cell phone with texting, calls, and internet tracking. They compartmentalize information into the outsider versus insider doctrines. They ensure that the information is not freely accessible. They control information at different levels and missions within the group, and they allow only leadership to decide who needs to know what and when. Not like the government. Encourage spying on other members. They impose a buddy system to monitor and control that member. Report deviant thoughts, feelings, and actions to leadership. They use extensive use of cult-generated information and propaganda like YouTube. Like we've seen that a couple times where they really enjoy that stuff. Like they'll videotape themselves like um, Jim Jones would do that as well. Misquoting statements or using them out of context from non-cult sources. Unethical use to confession. Information about sins used to disrupt or dissolve identity boundaries, withholding forgiveness or absolution, and manipulation of memory, possible false memories. So like that unethical use of confession, that makes me think of Nexium, where whenever they got into those higher tiers, they would have to give him either photos, like risque photos or confessions that he could hold over them to hold them accountable. Who would agree to do that? Are you in the cult? And, I mean, you know, this way, if you've joined something, a lot of people will get rid of everything they've had. You know, like, if this is a, the cult they're in, and they're already so far in, and then it gets to this outlandish, like, something you wouldn't have considered at the beginning, but you're so far in now, you have no option but going forward. And it sounds easy to go backwards, but you just can't. You've already completely changed who you were. So they also do thought control. This requires members to internalize the group's doctrine as truth. They adopt the group's map reality as reality. They instill black and white thinking. They decide what's good and evil. And they organize it into a us versus them. Insiders versus outsiders. They change the person's name and identity, which that's happened in several cults. Mm -hmm. I want to say it's like Terio, like Rock Terio and the Anthill Kids. I think he made them all adopt names. Changing the person's identity, use of loaded language and cliches, which constrict knowledge, stop critical thoughts, and reduce complexities into platitudinous buzzwords. I don't know what that word means. I need to look that up. Encourage. <laughs> I don't know what it means either. <laughs> encourage only good and proper thoughts. Hypnotic techniques are used to alter mental states. Memories are manipulated. So, like, some of this stuff crosses over to each of them. And then we go into emotional control. They manipulate and narrow the range of feelings. 
some emotions and or needs are deemed as evil, wrong, or selfish. Teach emotion-stopping techniques to block the feeling of homesickness, anger, and doubt. They make the person feel that their problems are always their own, never the leader's or the group's fault. Promote feelings of guilt or unworthiness, such as identity guilt. You're not living up to your potential. Your family is deficient. Your past is suspect. We're all sus. <laughs> they instill fear, such as thinking independently, the outside world, enemies, losing your salvation, others' disapproval, being shunned by the group. There's extremes of emotional highs and lows, with love bombing and praise one moment, then declaring you're a horrible sinner. Ritualistic and sometimes public confessions of sins, phobia indoctrination, including irrational fears about leaving the group or questioning the leader's authority. That kind of includes into the no happiness or fulfillment is possible outside that group. There are terrible consequences you leave, whether hell, demonic possession, incurable diseases, suicide, insanity, whatever. Um, shunning of those who leave, fear of being rejected by friends and family, never a legitimate reason to leave. Those who leave are weak, undisciplined, unspiritual, worldly, brainwashed by family or a counselor. And of course, they always threat harm to the um, ex-members and their family. While it's easy to say that people are just blindly following whoever, know that any one of us is susceptible to cults and that they cover a wide range of ideals and topics. There are resources available, however, both religious and secular, to people who need deprogramming and therapy after suffering at the hands of a cult. You have the Freedom of Mind Resource Center, the Cult Education Institute, which has lists of counselors nationwide who specialize in survivors of cults. Oh, wow. They have a whole institute? Mm-hmm. Encourage survivors of cult and abuse. These are all places. Um, and then there's even Hope Valley Counseling for our UK listeners. International Cultic Studies Association and its partner, Spiritual Abuse Resources. And if you need help and things are just overwhelming, we don't mind getting into the closest resource. So if you're listening and you're in a cult, just shoot us a message. We judge not and we're here to help. So my sources. <laughs> Wikipedia, the Denver Post, CBS News, New York Post. What happened to Deerfield.wordpress. And of course, um, I did have an interview for this one as well. And uh, keep their identity anonymous but to that person i know you're listening and i appreciate you and that is cult awareness very good are you in a cult becky i prefer not to answer <laughs> i know how to get you help <laughs> the only issue is even raising cult awareness if you're in a cult they're already controlling what you're listening to so you're probably not hearing this that's true just being honest that's you know what true. i mean yeah because they do constrict that flow of information yeah but if you're on the border of getting into a cult, then this is this is for you. If you're on the border, if you somebody's come to you and said, "Let me tell you about an opportunity," <laughs> if it looks like a pyramid, <laughs> feels like a pyramid, it's probably a pyramid. It's probably a pyramid. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us on all the platforms you listen to. Follow us on the socials. DM us if you have your own too close to home stories, and check out our merch if you want to rep us and spread the sickness. Yes. And until next time, stay safe. Keep your head on the swivel. And don't bring it too close to home that you invite the cult members in and they never leave. Exactly. Because that's what's going to happen. What if we started a cult? You could just join our cult. I want a cult following. I, that's that's basically it. Yeah. I mean, ours is the one that I don't want to be responsible for meetings and having to like guide people in their life because I can barely lead my own. So that's a, a lot of pressure, son. It is. I just want a cult following. I can't even handle my own finances. Like, I'm going to handle a cult's finances. Exactly. Those guys become crazy rich. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and I don't want to take from other people. Mm-mm. I don't like that. It's not kosher. It's not. Don't join it's bad karma. Bad, bad, bad karma. <laughs> Bye. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode of Too Close to Home, don't forget to rate and subscribe to us on most platforms. Follow us on our social media at Too Close Home Pod on Facebook, at Too Close Podcast on Instagram, or if you have your own Too Close to Home experience, shoot us your story at Too Close to Home at Yahoo.com. Thanks for listening.